Happy Monday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where, well, hopefully each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of uh, probably the greatest space uh, history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Chris Henry, one of the other hosts from the EAA Aviation Museum. And uh, it's been a while, Chris. We got... <laughs> Uh, life is life has uh, intervened for a long time. So uh, for for folks who are listening to this all on a run uh, and not listening to it live, uh, we, hopefully you didn't notice the jump here because <laughs> it's uh, it's been about a year since we uh, we picked up uh, the, the previous ones. Um, mostly, it's I, I I take I take a lot of the blame because. Uh, uh, I kind of got, I came down with a bad case of uh, thyroid cancer and I couldn't talk to use a microphone, but uh, I, I am now cancer free. Everything's fine. So I'm just, just ready to go. And better yet, I can, I can talk my head off now. So I'm, I'm very happy. And thank you, Chris, for your patience. Oh my gosh. I'm just glad everything is, uh, is, is okay. And, uh, we're both rebounding from some, some issues and, uh, you know, it's been so long since I heard you brag about that you saw the moon when it was whole. So yeah. uh, I'm glad to <laughs> glad to be back at it. <laughs> Easy kid. Yeah, yeah. We'll be yeah, we'll we'll be okay. And we're you know, actually we're we're doing this at just the right time because we are just coming up and I never I thought we'd be long ended, but we are just coming up on the fiftieth anniversary as we were recording this. So uh, we'll have a lot of timely timely talk about this thing and uh, we will be coming up with uh, some interesting interesting guests to come, but we'll we'll feature more of that later on as as the weeks come through. What I think is uh, interesting is the fiftieth of the mission, and it's what the thirtieth of the film. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, every yeah. We're probably competing with uh, you know all the people on Good Morning America and CNN and all. That. Yeah, we're way where, cooler than all them. Though, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. We, we were doing this before it was cool. So. Yeah, we were doing it before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, we are. Where are we? Oh, we are. If, if when when last you heard from us, we were uh, at minute seventy six now, and uh, we're just uh, watching. It's. In real time, it's about 24 hours since the uh, since the explosion, and uh, we get back to one of the main issues that has that that was a part of um, of what to do now that they now that they're dealing with the the ship is heading away from Earth and instead of coming back toward Earth, so they had two real um, issues about what to do, and uh, the the two issues that uh, well let's let's get a little bit into the background here. Once once this happened, this happened on. Um, uh, there, there's the white team and the black team, and uh, uh, the white team is dealing with this uh, currently, uh, but they were just coming off. That, that's Gene Kranz's group. And then uh, the black team was coming on with Glenn, Glenn Lenny's group uh, to deal with the thing, but the white team did, just didn't go home. There were, two, there were two teams of people there. And uh, they, had, they had to look at two ways of coming back. One, they could burn the big engine on the SPS, and uh, if they burned every drop of fuel, they could stop their uh, their trajectory toward the moon and just head straight back, fall back to Earth. Um, but the problem there is they didn't know if the SPS worked or not. I mean, they had they had damage to you know obviously they had damage to the to the fuel uh, system, and uh, they really didn't know if they could fire fire it or if they fired it, if they'd have enough fuel left to uh, to head the other way. So what would happen in that case? Is instead of heading back to Earth, they just head straight for the moon and, and not have enough power to uh, to crash into it. So uh, uh, the other the other one that they were looking at was uh, to go in a what they call a free return trajectory around the moon. Unfortunately for them, Apollo 13, after four successful lunar uh, missions, 
Apollo 13 was the first one not to go on a free return trajectory, so they would actually have to burn to uh, to get around the moon uh, uh, and and head back to Earth the right way. And what what they call the um, I just want to make sure I'm saying this right the Aparicynthian plus two hour burn, which would be on uh, it, it would as they as they approach the closest part of the moon. Uh, two hours after that, they'd have to fire their engines. If you ever play Kerbal, <laughs> if you ever if oh, you ever do the, the Kerbal software, you know exactly what I mean. But two hours after they they passed around the nearest part of the moon, they would fire and then head back to Earth on what would become the free return trajectory. So uh, that's and the problem there, as we're going to get into in this minute, the problem there is it it'll work, but they're going to have to spend two days. Of getting back to Earth, and at the whole time they're burning electricity and they're burning their batteries down, and they're not they, since they don't have any fuel cells left, they're not making power; they're just using power from uh, from the batteries that are in both the command module and uh, and the lunar module. So it's quite an issue. And they weren't they weren't very you know they weren't very high powered batteries; they weren't lithium ion batteries like we have nowadays. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it's quite an issue. And there's a lot of things burning good old fashioned you know the Big, they, they weren't like low-power IFC circuits. These were the old, uh, not, not quite tubes, but big transistors and lots of lots of things that ate a lot of power. Um, I I couldn't imagine how vulnerable you must have felt up there at that at this point. You're you're up in a a damaged spacecraft so far from home. They don't even really know how to get you home yet. Yeah. I, I mean, you just there had to be a few moments where you felt it might be kind of hopeless. Yeah. I, I the the. A thing I think when we talked with uh, Fred last year, Fredo was talking about how they didn't really have time to worry about stuff. But I would imagine that if they had a spare moment, they thought, "Geez, we're going the wrong way," <laughs> and you know, the 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 battery, the gauge on the batteries were all going down, 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 down. Um, at the time, like I say here in the uh, in, in this particular minute, they're talking about how the the LEM is drawing sixty amps, which is probably you know what your house is doing if you've got the air conditioner running and uh, maybe uh, the dishwasher going. Uh, you're, you know, imagine imagine enough power to keep to keep your house cool and you know and to to run some appliances. That's running all the time. So they really had to shut everything down just to get to uh, to a point where they could stretch the battery out. I and mean, this is they never they never really. I mean, they they did kind of simulate some of these things. But altogether, it was considered a ridiculous simulation, so why bother with it? Um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, I can't remember if Fredo touched on it or not, but uh, one of the engineers that we that I, that I at least had a chance to, to spend some time with had told me that, that uh, it, and, and maybe you'll, you'll know about this or correct me, but that uh, they had ran a simulation, and it was called Lifeboat Lem, and that Fredo was so sharp that they said that when they realized they were going to have to power up to Lem. As a matter of fact, all they said was lifeboat Lem, and Fred knew exactly what simulation he meant, and he ran down and started to try to, you know, start to Lem up. But um, that there was a similar sim that they had ran, but it was so crazy, they only did it, like, once, you know, just to... I think it was almost just to kind of see what would happen, you know. But yeah, yeah. Uh, we're hopefully I'm working on this right now that uh, we can talk with one of the engineers who had come up with that lifeboat simulation, and it had been placed as far back as 1964, 65. Wow. So th- it was just something they considered, but like you said, there it's like this is silly. You know, we're we're never going to get to that point. And how you know we have all these redundant systems in the in the command module and the service module. How you know how could you get to it? Well, they <laughs> they found a way. Um, wow. But it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, all these 
the the interactions going on here with uh, the mission people are very fa it's fascinating. I mean, Jerry Bostic, uh, the tall fellow in the back, is uh, the flight dynamics officer, and he had to figure out all these different trajectories and figure out where any at any given moment this is what they were doing. This is what you know. This is what they had to cover, um, and you know it was done with. Uh, paper and pen and uh, and relying on computer runs that took sometimes 20 30 minutes just to get uh, some of the some of the information but he had to do a lot of the stuff in his head figuring out is this feasible is this not feasible and be able to talk about it in a coherent manner to people who were not flight dynamics officers so uh, you know just just the sheer amount of passing this information back and forth to each other it, admittedly this was you know these these guys weren't green on this they've like I said before, they had four lunar missions under their belt, so they knew what they were talking about, so they could shorthand a lot of it. But the idea of having to implement some of the things that they had only guessed at previously, uh, it's, it's really a testament to how, how fast they could do this kind of stuff in their heads rather than, you know, worrying. They, they, you know, they, they had to tell the IBM guys basically to write more software to figure out some of these possibilities, but they were already you know, overtaken by events by the time they got they got the information back. So it's just amazingly smart guys working on all this stuff. Somebody asked me, you know, I do a, I do a presentation uh, for EAA about uh, the Apollo program. And and at the end of it, you know, people always ask, like, what is it? What, why did we even have, you know, Apollo or the space program? Like, what's the greatest thing that we really get out of it? And I honestly think the greatest thing we get out of it is that we truly celebrate intelligence. I mean, that is... yeah. Uh, when you start looking at the people that are, you know, the, the astronauts, I always say they're the tip of the iceberg. You know, they're the ones that, that people get to see. But when you see all the folks that work behind the scenes that you don't know about, and then you just see the brilliance that they have. I mean, that uh, that is just truly, uh, you got to respect that. You have to respect just what all those people bring to the table. Yeah, and... and... Yeah, and the ability to be flexible. I mean, it's 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 one thing to be to be bright about this, but being being flexible. I mean, as we were talking about just before with the with IBM trying to come up with this, um, there was a there was a facility next to the uh, Mission Operations Center called the Real Time Computer Complex, and they would feed information to it to figure out uh, different burns, different uh, different trajectories that were possible. And to calculate that kind of stuff, you had to know, you have to know stuff like the mass of the two uh, of the the mass of the the spacecraft, what kind of um, where the center of gravity was on the spacecraft for for doing the burns, um, how much thrust each engine you know the the descent engine producer the SPS they had a lot of information on the SPS but not a lot of information of well what happens if you fire the descent engine and you still have the command module and the service module attached. How does that affect the mass? How does that affect the center of gravity? Which way are you pointing the two ships? How do you know what you know what 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 directions, what vectors are you pointing that thrust at? And these guys did it on the fly. I mean, I, that's that's the thing that um, again, as I said, as anybody has ever done Kerbal, you you sit down trying to write all this stuff out, and, write all this stuff out, and figure out well, if I do it this way or that way, these guys had to do it in time to tell them what to do at that at that PC plus two burn. Plus, they had to figure out how to do it um, like Ginger Rogers backwards and heels. You had to figure out how are you going to do this with the lunar module engine, which wasn't even built to do these kind of maneuvers, and use that thrust and, and apply it to get home. Um, it's still 50 years down the road. This is just mind-boggling. And you know, thank, thank God they had these people in the trench working these numbers to, to get them home. 
Yeah, and as you said, you know, the computers were not the source of their powers, if you will. <laughs> I mean, this was all brain power. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it, I don't want to sound, sound cliched where people are like, you know, your iPhone has, you know, more power uh, yeah. than the room of uh, the mission controller or something like that. But but really, the the stuff they were working with was, was really primitive. I mean, uh, um, you know, it, it certainly wasn't, uh, you weren't a computer operator. You were literally the operating the computer, vice versa, you know. Yeah, and you know, and, and people always. It's funny that is a, a typical thing that comes up is that your iPhone has more more calculating uh, power than anything that was in Mission Control. But the thing is, if you don't know how to work your iPhone to get thrust vectors out of, out of it, it's <laughs> it's not going to help you at exactly, all. You know? so, exactly. Exactly. Um, Great selfies, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Imagine the kind of pictures they could have sent back from the from from the uh, the lunar module's uh, command deck. Uh, <laughs> a lot of filters. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, it's just it's it's an amazing it was an amazing team it was an amazing crew um and just watch watching that's i think that's that's part of the rewatchability of this movie is that you watch these things and you can ponder all this no matter how many times you watch you think my gosh the skill the 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 sheer smarts in that room um uh now uh Chris, you've talked you've talked with Gene Kranz, and we're going to come up to his famous phrase in in a little bit. But uh, the way I understand when he got all these people in the room to build what they called the Tiger Team, these guys that had to sit down and and you know noodle through all the all the ways to solve the problem, um, he was bringing them in not to yell at them, not to be you know this is this is the way it's going to be, and it's not going to happen on my watch and all that other stuff. It was more like these guys just experienced the worst. Um, the worst moments of their careers. I mean, along with the Apollo one fire, this was something that they all had a hand in and they, fe- they felt a sense of failure and they felt a sense of self doubt. And I, I've seen, I've, I've read in, in Gene's book, uh, how he dealt with this. Um, but you have more, you have more extensive personal experience with, uh, with Gene. Could you talk a little bit about how, how Gene approached this moment when he was in the room? Yeah. You know, he, uh, he it, it's interesting because it, you know, when you host somebody, you get to chat with them, of course, you want to ask them about the movie. And um, I asked him, you know, I said, when you when you see these breakout meetings, you guys had a, you know, a certain room off to the side, you know, A, did this really happen? And of course, you know, he said yes. And, um, and yeah, it, it was not a, it was more of a, let's, let's get everybody on a common frequency, uh, not, not literally, but, you know, let's make sure everybody is, is uh, okay. You know, and then let's let's figure this out calmly. Let's get everybody together. Let's get their minds sort of reset. Um, but at the same token, he pulled them together with the idea of when you go out there, I know there are big odds uh, facing us. Um, when we go out there, we have to understand that we aren't losing this crew, and that is something we're not willing to do. And everybody else has to believe it, and it has to come from us. And that was sort of the talk that he mentioned to me that he gave that that and that's where the you know the famous quote you know failure is not an option of course uh i'm gonna break a lot of hearts here i guess jim uh (laughs) uh, that he didn't say that exact quote (laughs) so um but what happened was when they were making the film they said that that was the spirit of his talk yeah um that uh that 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 was sort of the um the personality that they wanted to exude was that we aren't going to accept failure. And, you know, he said, you, not only do you have to believe it, you have to go out there and make everybody else believe this, that, that we can do this. We are going to do it. 
And they were really kind of hedging their bets on a few things going their way. I mean, and some of them did, some of them didn't. Um, but that was the big thing, to talk these guys up uh, and make sure they, you know, they believed that, that they could get these guys home. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's it's amazing for Gene because he was the first guy he had to convince that yeah. it was going to work. <laughs> but but he seems like that kind of a fellow. I mean, he has a very commanding presence. And he, you know, if anybody's going to talk Gene Kranz into somebody, something, it's going to be Gene Kranz. Um, yeah. Yeah, he has. Um, let, uh, you know, let me tell you this story, if it's all right, Jim. And, and, sure. and if this isn't good, you can you can edit it out. <laughs> but, uh, but this is a real story I have. Uh, he, when you say he commands presence, um, so I'm backstage um, at the at what we call the gathering, which is a, a fundraising event for our organization. And this is the year that I was hosting the astronauts. I had them all back there, and. You know, I had uh, nine Apollo astronauts backstage, and some wow. of them hadn't seen each other in a while, so they're kind of gabbing and talking, and, and their wives and girlfriends are with them, so they're talking. And it was getting, you know... Uh, rambunctious? Or... Yeah, it was rambunctious, <laughs> and they're joking around and stuff. And the person who was running the show comes over and he says, okay, it's time to get them in the order of the missions that they flew. We need to get them in order because that's how we're going to introduce them. And I'm like, how am I supposed to politely yet loudly break into this group uh, and say this? Because like, you, know, you can't just kind of Arthur Fonzarella it and say like, hey, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> uh, which is what I would do if I was with my buddies or something, you know. And Gene Kranz is standing next to me and he's like, you want me to do it? You know, and he's in his mission control voice. And, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, you probably have better uh, chances at that, you know. And he basically just says, all right, everybody, listen up. And it just quiets down. And, you know, and he's like, Chris is going to get us in the order that he wants us to go out there tonight, and we're going to go out and look professional. And literally all the guys in the room are going, okay, Gene. And I'm looking around the room, and it's, you know, you've got Frank Borman. You've got, uh, uh, you know, uh, Buzz Aldrin. You have Walt Cunningham. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, this is, these guys are legends, you know, and they're yeah. all like, okay, Gene, we'll do what you need. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> really amazing. So, so make no mistake, Gene Kranz uh, still runs the show. <laughs> yeah. I just, I keep picturing, you know, what he's like at a, at a drive through at the McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Yes, sir, Mr. Kranz. Extra ketchup on your, yeah. Big Mac. So it's, uh, don't, don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, McDonald's, French, we have a problem. <laughs> yeah. French fries are not an option. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, this is yeah. This has been uh, an intriguing minute. Uh, I mean, there's there's so much here. Uh, when he uh, as as we're finishing up in in this particular minute, they're talking about power, and um, the John Aaron's character says power is everything. We're gonna we're gonna get into that more as the as the weeks pile on, but it's just such an amazing thing that it boils down to. Um, well, I mean, that's that's almost like basic flight is energy management. You know, you're, you're always responsible for energy management. And uh, this is the ultimate in energy management because part of the thing is you're going to be using, you're trying to reserve the instruments that are going to get you home. Um, I, re- I, I was reading in uh, one of, um, I think it was in the IEEE magazine. They had, a, uh, they had an article about um, one of the, well, you had the you had the the LEM group and you had the command module group, and there was a there was a guy who was uh, responsible for the Odyssey's guidance system, and he was begging, um, he was begging John Aaron and and the other you know the other the the power folks to leave the he, just the heater circuit you know, like turn everything off in the in the command module but leave the heater circuit on, and 
the way I understand it is John Aaron sat down and said, look, it, it, they said it's something like it took like a half an amp to, to run the thing. And so he said, okay, half an amp times 45 hours it, it we're gonna or 48 hours i guess it was to get home 48 hours times a half an amp that's 24 amp hours and we don't ha- that that will eat up all of our all of our power and we won't have enough to fire the pyros for the for the parachute that's why we can't keep your heater on and so wow. the guy was like well okay but you know that that's the kind of you know, it's just those uh, the very cruel ca- calculations that you had to, they had to do there. And John John Aaron was able to explain it to the you know to the command module guy. We can't run that because we don't have enough power to get it home. We're trying to save you know you got to save. It's like a bank. You got to save the the electric money for the parachutes and work backwards from that. Um, but it's just you know it, it's amazing that he could relate to all these different people within all these different disciplines. And be able to say, look, let's get the big picture and say to yourself, even if you think it's a little power now, over two days, it's going to eat us alive. So just and I'm sure in reading all the in reading all the background things, if you, if you read Jim Lovell's book, Lost Moon, or if you read any of uh, uh, any of these books, you get the idea of the scale of, of how ev- how so many people were working on this and from so many different angles and. The fact that they could all work together like this well-oiled machine that that they were, uh, it's kind of testament to the power of uh, of understanding engineering and understanding human relationships to to have people see things your way. That's one of the most impressive parts about seeing the movie and and thinking back on the history of the whole Apollo program. So um, anyway, that's the. That's the feeling I get out of just this one minute of the film. And we'll have more minutes to come. But uh, I would like to thank everybody for, uh, for hanging in with us. And uh, if you're hearing this for, uh, uh, for the first time and, you know, we're, we've long finished the, uh, hopefully <laughs> finished the program, uh, I, uh, I would hope that, uh, that it doesn't sound like too much of a bump when you get to a minute 76. But, uh, Actually, if you're just listening to it now, uh, there was never a problem. I'm not sure what you're talking no, about. Yeah, so. I, yeah it's, all, it's all hallucination. <laughs> yeah. Must have been, yeah, next time, next time pay your uh, iTunes bill or something. <laughs> wow. But uh, for, folks, uh, for folks wanting to be uh, part of all this, we are, we're still around. We are, of course, at the big site at Apollo13Minute.com, and you can reach us on, uh, you can hear us or download us on uh, all the usual channels, uh, I, uh, iTunes, which is now known as Apple Podcast, since, since the last time we were on, it's now <laughs> Apple Podcast, or Google Play, or wherever your fine podcatchers can find our stuff. Um, and we are available on Twitter at Apollo13Minute, and Facebook, uh, you can join us at Apollo13Minute Mission Control, where uh, we'll be happy to talk about uh, stuff that's been going on in the past year. And, uh, and happy 50th birthday of, of, of uh, Apollo 13. So we'll be celebrating that through through the rest of our uh, our show here. Um, anyway, uh, Chris, good to be back. Yeah, and, absolutely uh, good. To, good to be back with you, buddy. Pl- plenty more to come in the in the near future. So uh, g- join us here tomorrow. Uh, it looks like we're going to be uh, have a loss of signal in about 30 seconds. So we will see you here next time on the Apollo 13 minute.